What is your sacrifice? You're making one right now. Do you realize that? You got yourself up this morning? Took a shower, most of you? Put on some clothes that you believe were appropriate for coming before God in worship? You got yourself here? You've sat through a Bible class, perhaps, and now you're sitting through a worship assembly. You're offering up songs. You're bowing your head in prayer. You've remembered Christ's sacrifice for us, and now we are making sacrifices for him. And we might think to ourselves, <clears throat> as well we probably should, what in the world do we have to offer God? But God has let us know we have much that he wants from us. He's not in need but he is in love. And when you love someone, you want those things that bring about the kind of relationship you want. And so we'll talk about those this morning. And looking at this idea of sacrificing ourselves, this is the text that Braden read for us. Paul wrote it down about 2,000 years ago. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. Presenting your body before God. You're doing that right now. But you do that in other ways as well. And we'll talk about some of those ways later. But first of all, let's talk about where this idea of sacrifice came from. Because it goes way back. Oh, I meant to highlight that idea of a living and holy sacrifice. That's what you are. You're living. You're alive. What kind of sacrifices did they make under the law, by the way? Well, they were alive when they got started, but they wound up dead because those sacrifices required blood. But we are alive, and we are holy, and we are giving ourselves to the Lord. But it all started way back in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel both, both brought offerings before God. Cain was a fellow who tilled the ground. He raised some crops, probably some good crops, I would imagine. Probably had some nice onions and tomatoes. Who knows what he grew, but he brought of his garden to the Lord. And the text says God had no regard for Cain's offering. Now, at first, we might think that that's not very fair, but, but keep reading, keep looking, keep listening. God accepted Abel's offering, which he made how? He made it by faith. And it says Abel offered from his flocks. It was an animal that he offered. But we don't really know that it's by faith until we get to Hebrews chapter 11 and we read that's how he made it. But how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So putting all this together, we can reason out the idea that there must have been some instruction from God how to make an offering. And that's why Abel's was by faith because he followed what he knew from God to do. And Cain did not. As a matter of fact, God pointed out that Cain failed to do better, but he could have done better. God warned him. He said, sin crouches at the door and its desire is to master you. And this is kind of the crux right here. Are we going to offer to God what should be offered to God or are we going to do it our way? This is just the fourth chapter of Genesis, but this sets the tone for all of humanity for all of time. What will we offer God? You can look over the world, you see a lot of people making offerings to God, but they're not the kinds of things that God said he wanted. Here in the fourth chapter, we see it's important to offer God what he wants. And it's also important to see that if you don't offer to God what he wants, he gives you a second shot at it. Oh, 
You can, you can make this right. Cain could have made it right, but what did Cain do instead? He persecuted the one who did it right. That's another thing we see in the world and the world over. Sacrifices continue with Noah. Noah gets off of the ark. By the way, what's on the ark? Two of every kind of animal. What kind of uh, animal were there sevens of? Seven of the clean animals. And that's all the animal life that's in the world right now. And God says, hey, we're going to have some sacrifices going on. So Noah built an offer and he offered burnt offerings after the flood. And what he offered were clean animals. Because it was two of every kind of animal except those that were clean. And those that were clean, how many did he take? Seven of each, which is a biblical number for completion. So we're looking at seven of the clean animals, but clean. Who decides what's clean? And by the way, it wasn't about edibility. God didn't say, no, some you can eat and some you can't. We'll see that in the law when it comes along, but the law is going to be quite a while later. But this is all about making sacrifice to God. Because people didn't eat animals in Noah's day until after the flood. You read the ninth chapter of uh, Genesis that's pointed out there, that was the point at which God said, now you can eat animals. Before this, I gave you every plant bearing seed for your food, but now I'm giving you the animals as well. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Talked about steak a little bit in Bible class this morning. Who chooses what's clean? God chooses what's clean. You want to know what's clean? Ask God. Find out from God what's clean. What do you want to offer? Offer what's clean. And this is about 1,500 years prior to Moses going up on Mount Sinai and getting the law from God that stipulated what was clean. So there was already this concept of what was clean and what to offer long before the law. We don't know all the details about it. We don't need to know all the details about it because this was written down in, Noah's, or in Moses' day. Moses didn't know these things until God revealed them to him and he wrote them down in the law. Well, I say he didn't know. I don't know what he didn't know. But then we get to Abraham, who came along after Noah. God told Abraham, get up out of your country. Go into a land and I'll show you. And when he got there, guess what he did? He built altars. What do you do with an altar? You make a sacrifice on it. That's what altars are all about. He built one at the Oak of Morah. And then he moved. He went to the mountain just east of Bethel. You all know where that is. Go to Jerusalem, take a right. I, I like to say that. I don't know if anybody, I don't even know if that's correct. Bus drivers from over there probably go, why, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. At any rate, he, he went another place and he built another altar. And then he went another place. He went to the Oaks of Mamre in Hebron. Now, I hope you know about Hebron because we just finished studying First and Second Samuel. And that was the first capital of Israel. David would later move it to Jerusalem. But Hebron was the first. And that's where Abraham built an altar, one of the places but he also paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Who in the world is Melchizedek? Well, you read the 14th chapter of Genesis and you find out who Melchizedek was. He was a priest of the Most High God. What do we know about his priesthood? Nothing. Except that Abram paid a tenth. He paid a tithe. Isn't that a sacrifice? You give up a tenth of what you have, that's a sacrifice. So we're seeing this in other terms. And then there were more altars after Abraham's altars. Isaac built an altar, son of Abraham. Wonder where he learned that. He built an altar. Jacob anointed a pillar and pledged a tenth to God. 
Who's Jacob? Well, that's Isaac's son. Jacob is also the one whose name was changed to Israel, he who struggles with God. That stone that he set up as a pillar had been his pillow. He laid down to sleep, put that stone under his head, took a nap, and during that nap he dreamed. He saw a ladder ascending to heaven, and the angels were ascending and descending on that ladder. We saw in John this morning that Jesus said, you're going to see that, and I'm it. Jesus is that ladder. He's our connection to heaven. He's the only way up. But at any rate, that started with Jacob. And so he took that stone that was his pillow, he set it up as a pillar, and he anointed it there, and he pledged a tenth to God, making a sacrifice there. Jacob offered a covenant sacrifice between himself and Laban. Laban was his uncle. He was a shyster. And so Jacob got this covenant going between them to hopefully Laban wouldn't cheat him anymore. And that's in Genesis chapter 31. You can read about that. And then we see that Moses, when he goes before Pharaoh, he says, The Lord God of Israel has said, Let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. And then the second verse is where Pharaoh says, No, ain't going to do it. And then the third verse, Moses comes back and he says, uh, then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Three days journey. How'd you like to walk for three days to make a sacrifice? I'm thinking three days walking in the desert. That's quite a sacrifice right there. But that's what the, the instructions were. By the way, at this point, they didn't get to do it, did they? Don't forget before this was all over, there would be the 10th plague, which would be the death of the firstborn. How is it that the Israelites escaped their firstborn being put to death? It was the blood of the Passover lamb. They killed that lamb, put its blood upon the doorpost of their house, and everybody inside that house was safe because God said, when I see the blood, I'm going to do what? I'm going to pass over. Jesus is our Passover. God has sacrificed his son so that he might be able to pass over us and not put us to death. Don't forget good old Job. You remember reading about Job. Job in the beginning of the book of Job was sacrificing for his children because he thought they may have been partying and done something they shouldn't have done. So he's making sacrifices so that their relationship with God might be right. That's what Job did. And then at the end of the book, if you're familiar with Job, you know he had these three friends who assembled after all of his hardships and difficulties came on him. And they said, well, the reason all this is happening is because you're a squirrely guy. You've done some bad things. Or, or maybe even your children have done some bad These are the kinds of things his friends said about him and argued with him about that this must be true. This is why all these bad things are happening to you. Read the book of Job. I encourage everybody to read the book of Job because bad things happen to everybody. And do not be sucked into that lie that that automatically means you've been bad. Bad things happen to good people too. What's that cross all about? The best man that's ever lived was rejected, demeaned, ridiculed, and in the end crucified. Rejected by his own people. So when bad things happen to you, don't think it's because you've been bad. Now, maybe it is, but you need to talk about the Lord with that. <laughs> but most of the time, it's, it's not. And, and when you get to the end of the book, God 
calls those three friends on the carpet. And he says, listen, you need to make some offerings of yourself, some peace offerings. And you need to come make those offerings to my servant, Job, because he's the faithful. So God is putting Job in a position of serving as a priest. So this must be, uh, apparently, prior to the giving of the law. So Job must be an old book. But we're still talking about people making sacrifices and making them to God in proper ways. And God setting some of those standards out. So that's what we're seeing as we look through this history. And when you think about, and if you're here for the Leviticus class, you've got a great handle on all the sacrifices that God commanded in the law. And what a, what a burden lifted that must have been the first time people realized God, God sent his son so we don't have to do that anymore. And Paul said, that's right. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But now that Christ has come, we are under grace. And it is salvation by faith. <laughs> thank, thank you. My goodness, what a blessing. Not to have to go through all that as they did. So, one of my favorite words right there. Wowzer, that's heavy stuff. So, where are we? What is your sacrifice? What does God call upon you to make? God has given you gifts. If you look at 1 Peter, 2 Peter, I'm I'm sorry. No, no, 1 Peter. Let me get my my head on straight here. 1 Peter chapter 3, chapter 4. Man. This is what Peter says to the church, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter said amen. I say amen. You say amen. What's he say to do? You've got a gift. Use your gift. No, it's not miraculous in the sense we're talking about being able to raise people from the dead or heal the sick. Wouldn't it be great if we could go up to the hospital and walk into people's rooms where they were sick and so ill, like we've heard about in so many of these prayer requests, lay a hand on them and then be well? That's not our lot today. That's not what God has given us, but he has given you gifts. Maybe your gift is generosity. You just love to be generous. You love to give. Maybe your gift gift is encouragement. You love to find people who were down and out and encourage them. Maybe your gift is faith. No matter what happens, you're going to keep believing because you just know things are looking up and God is going to be there all the time. Maybe your gift is hospitality. You love to have people come into your house and show them what the love of God is all about. So many gifts that God has given us and you have your own and I have my own. But God is saying through his apostle, use those gifts to serve. That's what Jesus wants, is for us to serve in the capacity in which he has provided for us. And these are specific because you have your own gift and I have my own gift. And I hope we don't ever think that that excuses us from doing anything else and just say, well, that's not my gift. I don't have to be nice to people. That's not my gift. My gift is being honest to people and telling them the truth, you know. My gift is just telling it like it is. Wait a minute. That's that's not a gift. (laughs) 
that's a curse. Don't get curses and gifts confused. Paul said, speaking the truth in love. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. And that's what Jesus did the whole time he was here. And he taught us to do that. If you look at Matthew chapter 23, and, and we're just going to look at a, a few of these things that Jesus brings up and his apostles bring up that we can do, that we can offer up as sacrifices. And here's a place where, where Jesus is specifically talking about sacrificing. And, and he gives us, he, he clues us in, so to speak, on what the real sacrifices are. Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. What's he saying? You're sacrificing a tenth of your mint and your dill and your cumin. Those are little plants, little seasonings, basically, is what they are. He says, you take these, you're going to be under the strictest letter of the law, and you're going to tithe mint and dill and cumin. But then he says, you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law. What are the weightier, weightier provisions of the law? Justice. You've forgotten justice. You've forgotten mercy. You've forgotten faithfulness. Now, you and I, we might say to ourselves, well, how am I ever going to practice justice in my life? I'm not a judge or anything like that. All you have to do is get out on the highway, drive your car, and see all those other... Now, see, I'm about to be... Ingest. You're going along. You're in that lane, but it doesn't belong to you. You see somebody trying to come in on the highway, pull over, slow down, do something to allow for them to get on the highway. There's something about it sometimes, and I don't know why I'm talking about this, except that it seems like we're Christians until we get in our cars. Then we're allowed to be non-Christians. And we can say things and do things that Jesus would not be proud of. But the thing about sacrifices is, it starts with Romans 12 for you and me. You're offering up your entire self. Everything you are, everything you have, you offer up to God. And that includes when we're on the road. Be merciful, be just, on the road, on the street, in your home. Sometimes we're we're kind and pleasant to everybody except the people in our own home. Because, well, they're just family. They know me. They can take it. Well, mercy, justice, faithfulness. These are the weightier provisions of the law. If you look at Luke chapter 9, and I, I, Bobby, I appreciate the way you, you led us this morning in our observance of the Lord's Supper. Because it touches on uh, what Jesus said here in Luke chapter 9. Luke 9.57, talking about sacrifices we offer to God. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, that's offering up quite a bit, isn't it? What did Jesus say? Oh, wow, that's fantastic. You're such a wonderful spiritual person offering to follow me wherever I go. It's not what he said, is it? Jesus said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the nest, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's he saying? He's saying, you better think twice before you come follow me, before you can make a commitment like that. Because this is my life. You want to follow me. This is going to have to be your life. That's what he's saying. This is your life. He said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me to first go and bury my father. Now, I don't believe this is because his father was dead. I think it's because 
He was going to stay home until his father did die and then bury his father. But however it might have played out, Jesus said this, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. In other words, you've got a plan that you think you're going to follow for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, I've got a different plan for you. You're going to have to sacrifice your plan for my plan. That's what Jesus says. And he knew what everybody was thinking. He knew where everybody's heart was. And so he would tell them as he tells us, here's what I want for you. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Putting your hand to the plow. I don't know about you, but that sounds like work. Does Jesus have work for you to do? He's got work for you to do. You're doing some of it right now. But it really starts when we say the amen and we go out those doors. That's where the real work starts. That's where you need to put your hand to the plow and keep it to the plow because there are people out there who are lost, and you and I know them. Jesus wants them. He wants us to tell them about him. Well, you talk about sacrifice. It's scary, isn't it? To to get your courage to the point where you're willing to say something to somebody. Maybe you know them really well, and maybe you don't know them well. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. You go someplace and you eat a nice hamburger, you don't have any problem in the world coming home and telling people about a nice hamburger. You know why that is? Because you telling them about a good hamburger they can get someplace does not commit them to anything. Nobody's ever said, well, I don't like you telling me about hamburgers. I don't want to have anything to do with those hamburgers. What's wrong with you telling me about hamburgers? Nobody ever says that. Oh, great. Even if they're not going to go in their minds, I'm never going there. But they'll say, yeah, that's not like a great place. We'll have to try that sometime. But you tell them about Jesus and people might react a little differently. Because when you tell people about Jesus, instinctively they know you're asking me to sacrifice. You're asking me to make a decision like Cain and Abel made a decision. One decided to behave by faith. And the other decided to behave according to his own desires. And we all want to behave according to our own desires, do we not? Thank God that Jesus has taught us enough sense to know that's not the way to go. And it won't end well. Those of you that have little children, how many times do they want to do something that you know is not good for them? I remember seeing a picture. I don't know if it's a real picture. I think it's made up, but it's a kid on a skateboard. He looks like he's about four years old, and he's on his skateboard, and he's on one of these hills, and it's like a 500-foot-tall hill, and going down the road, down at the end is, is, a, is a, the ocean. It's like, you're going to let that little boy ride that skateboard down that hill? No, no, no. Every mother that sees that picture goes, we've got to stop this. And that's what God's saying all the time. My goodness, we've got to stop that. Son, you need to go down there and tell them. You need to teach them. That's what Jesus has done. You need to show them. We read in John chapter 1, verse 18 this morning in our Bible class. Jesus has explained the Father to us. That's quite a statement. But it's absolutely true. Everything you read and see about Jesus tells us about the Father. And what you read about Jesus is that he loves you so much, he's willing to go to the cross. He's not just willing to go to the cross. He's willing to bear 
the reproach of those when they assembled that cohort like Bobby was talking about and reading about that Mark had written about. He's, he's willing to allow that crown to be pressed on his head, that crown of thorns. He's willing to be beaten by a heathen, pagan, Roman soldier, probably to within an inch of his life. He's willing to put up with those apostles for three years. <laughs> you got to love those guys. you got to love them because they're just like you and me. But he put up with them for three years, and he taught them, and he trained them, and he trained them well because they proved themselves excellent servants when he was gone. For 33 years, he put up with living in a family where his brothers didn't even receive. He left heaven to come down here for 33 years, and then he died the way he did. You think he didn't love us? What he's showing us is the Father. He's showing us the Father. And now in these passages we're looking at this morning, we're seeing ways we can give something back. Here's a great thing about it. God never asks you or me to make a sacrifice that is not good for us. Not a single one. There is never a sacrifice that you will make for God that he wants you to make that will end up hurting you in any way, shape, or form. What did Paul write to the church at Corinth? He was talking about the resurrection, but he said... Your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Everything you do for God will result in a blessing of one kind or another. God will make sure of that. But not even God, not even God can bless an effort that we don't make. You and I can make the effort, can we not? We can make it as soon as the amen is said. We can treat one another with love and respect in here and we can go out there and treat the world with love and respect in spite of the way the world is. We can tell people about Jesus with every opportunity we have. We can make those opportunities. We can show love and compassion and kindness. We can show mercy and faithfulness. All the things that Jesus said are the weightier part of the law. We can be just. We can do all this in offering ourselves as sacrifices to God. And that's what he would have us to do today. So we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. If you've never offered yourself, this is a great time to do that. I I heard this morning, I believe it was a pump running back here. That means we got water. And if that pump was running, I think that also means that water is probably warm. If you've never obeyed the gospel by being buried with Christ in baptism, this is your day. We got the water ready for you. We got clothing you can wear. We got towels you can dry off. We got people that will line up to hug you and show you love. And you know that's the truth if you've been here very long. If you just need prayers, you need anything from us. Make your sacrifice. Let's stand and sing.